Welcome to Green File for gardeners, environmentalists, and foodies, inspiring people and stories so that you can green your life. With your hosts, Mark and Ben, the father-son gardening duo. This week, we are talking to Helen Battersby, writer, gardener, garden speaker, TorontoGardens.com blogger, Gardener's Journal co-publisher, and a power walker, though not always in that order. Helen is also a committed volunteer for more than 18 years with the Toronto Master Gardeners and as the director of the International Region for Gardencom, Garden Communicators International. Welcome, Helen. Dad, you're a fan of Helen. You probably got the Gardener's Journal sitting right in front of you. Um, I'll let you introduce our guest. Well, actually, I have it in my hand. And I'm just thinking as I'm listening to your introduction that uh, Helen is a committed volunteer. You and I are volunteers who should be committed. Right. Don't you, don't you think? Like, I mean, you, you and I have spread ourselves out a little bit. Yeah, but I'm sure our, our wives are thinking that. Yes. Well, I'm I'm just thinking we're both kind of nuts. I look at the stuff we're doing. Holy smoke. Ben in the Ontario Garden, sorry, Organic uh, Council and uh, me with Trees for Life and uh, the Toronto Botanical Gardens for you and blah, blah, blah. Like it goes on and on. And, you know, it's great to be in the company of another committed volunteer from the world of horticulture. And Helen, welcome. We're delighted that you could join us. Thank you very much, Mark. And I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and uh, I, I I thought your committed volunteer, volunteer committing was uh, very funny and true. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I just thought you might like to have a little taste for what the next 30 minutes was going to feel like. We Ben and I really enjoy our podcast here on The Green File. And uh, clearly, we've got some listeners, followers, whatever we call them today, uh, who, who enjoy them as well. And I know they're going to enjoy getting to know you and getting to hear your story. So let's kick it off right now with Helen. How did you get into gardening? Well, really not unlike the Cullens, but in a small way, I was born into it. Uh, uh, I was born in the UK, where gardening is a pastime and a religion. And my earliest memories are of the garden and the fields surrounding the rented farmhouse where we lived in the Cotswolds before we came to Canada when I was about five. What happened Uh, to your accent? Well... Listen, uh, I moved back and forth across the Atlantic a number of times, and each time I got teased out of my accent. So sometimes I can't remember how to pronounce tomato or tomato, <laughs> depending on who it is I'm talking to. Uh, is the tomato in the boot? I'm just wondering where you left it. <laughs> well, it uh, depends on how you sing the song, I think. Yeah, well, um, listen... Um, Yes. So the story starts in the Cotswolds of England, which both Ben and I can picture because we he has a sister. I have a daughter that lives over there who recently had a baby, by the way. So we're we're giddy with excitement over that one. And um, then what? So you were raised in a gardening family in the Cotswolds. Yeah, my mom's side was all about the flowers um, in her hometown, which is real in North Wales. Her mother was an award-winning flower gardener and was a huge influence. And on our dad's side, it was all about the vegetables. Um, whenever possible, he created a huge vegetable garden. And he was the one who taught me how to wield a spade like a spear so that it would have the greatest impact with the least effort. 
And in my tree root infested garden today, that was a very invaluable lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there were house plants, and house plants and an allotment were my entree into gardening as an adult. And in fact, I believe vegetables and house plants are the gateway drugs to gardening. And this is certainly true uh, as we see it today. And then um, when we first bought our house, um, I had this dream that it would be a, a you know, English style cottage garden. Uh, but I was living under giant Norway maples on sandy, sandy soil. So I was soon disabused of that uh, dream. But I have become an expert in gardening and dry shade. I'm also an expert houseplant killer. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was earning my living as a copywriter. Gardening was in my blood. And around the time when Toronto's gardening magazines pretty much folded, my sister Sarah suggested that we start a garden blog. And so I secured the URL torontogardens.com. And in fall 2006, the Battersby girls became bloggers. And I became a part of that huge online community of gardening people. And many of those people I met way back when are still really good friends in real life. So that's what happens when you uh, put yourself out in the online world. Yes. Great. Well, I've got so many questions. I've got questions about blogging and, and your gardening. I think we used to be near neighbors and you're still in the east end of Toronto. Is that correct? Absolutely. I remember when you lived just down at the end of the street. Yeah, um, we, I did. And it's a good part of the city, kind of Danforth, past Greek town. I don't know, you call it Upper Beaches, you call it Little India, you call it Danforth. I always felt uh, a bit confused that way. How do you identify as a Torontonian? Well, you listen, we moved around so much as a kid. Um, you know, I went to eight different public schools. But uh, when I went to university, I was at York University and kind of stuck, really. Uh, Toronto's the big city. Uh, I met my husband at university. We kind of made our home here. So mm. I feel like a Torontonian and I certainly feel like an East Ender. And uh, it's great city. It has everything you need in a city, only it's on a walkable scale. So I think that makes it just about perfect. Pretty much ideal. So your sister, Sarah, and you uh, produced the Toronto Gardener's Journal. It's been around a while. Tell us about um, the predecessor uh, and how you how it ended up in your hands. And then a little bit about Sarah, your relationship. Um, yeah. What is the journal? And yeah, okay. can you fill us in? Well, the journal was created more than 30 years ago by an amazing woman named Margaret Bennett Alder. And uh, it's part annual garden diary. It's part reference book. Um, You know, inside the diary section, you see a week at a time and it has space to write what happens, whether it's about your garden or your life in every daily square and then record what happened with the weather. But the week also includes what you might do in the garden that week, whether indoors or out. And so it's sort of a half a diary, half a reference book. Um, There are maps in the front that uh, allow you to know kind of roughly what your uh, Canadian garden zone might be or what the first and last frost dates for Southern Ontario are. And then we have flaps on the cover that have a sort of modified 
calculator that let you plug in those dates to figure out when you should start seeds and things like that. And then in the back, it's kind of like a yellow pages for garden resources, um, specialty plants or seed sources. And we update that every year to make sure that you can still reach people um, and figure out whether they're still in business. And the reason it came to us was really through GardenCom. Uh, that's how we met Margaret um, oh, 10 years ago or so and uh, became friends. And it was a great connection because we wrote Toronto Gardens and Margaret created what was then called the Toronto Gardener's Journal. So we were simpatico. So when it came time for her to retire at age 90, as she approached us about adopting her baby. And we took it on and we've produced uh, six editions since that time. And the most recent edition of the year Margaret turned 95 last year for 2022 won two awards, silver and gold medals from GardenCom. Um, we were really thrilled about that. And uh, although we focus on the Toronto and Golden Horseshoe, well, we gave it that new name because it really was more than about the city of Toronto. It was really about most of Southern Ontario. Um, and we have regular users who buy it from across Canada and a growing number of people in the U.S. So for 2024, we're hoping to offer a test run of a Canadian edition of the Gardener's Journal. Uh, it'll be bilingual and it will um, have uh, zones from uh, the Canadian zone map across Canada. So we're I, looking forward I, I to that. That's, uh, that's really, yeah. really exciting. So you're expanding the idea of the Toronto and Golden Horseshoe Gardener's Journal. And by the way, you know, we need, we need to, we need to congratulate you right here because we're going to move on and forget to do it uh, for your awards from Garden Com. Um, GardenCom used to be garden writers, as you mentioned, but just for our listeners who are not connected to sort of the, the wholesale communications business of gardening, uh, this is a North American um, organization that represents over, last last count to my knowledge, was over 600 uh, garden communicators. And to earn uh, an award, never mind two of them, is a huge honor and alone tells us a lot about the quality of your work. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, anything else about the Gardener's Journal that you want to tell us? Because I want to explore a little bit uh, about, I want you to tell your story about your own gardening experience. Mm -hmm. But before we go there, anything else about the Gardener's Journal? Well, I, I can tell you right now, unfortunately, for 2023, we are already sold out. And it, uh, <laughs> Good for uh, you. at last glance, uh, the Toronto Botanical Garden had a few copies left. I'm not sure how many they have, but uh, they're the only people that you can buy it from at the moment. It's a very popular. It sells out every year. You're the Toronto Maple Leafs of Gardener's Journals. <laughs> oh, they're always sold out. You ever try to get a ticket to the Leafs? Honestly. Except except we win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you had to say that, but they have us. discipline. <laughs> oh, geez. I'm getting beat up upon here. I'm I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. You two guys may not be, but uh, you know, I try to get tickets from time to time, honestly. 
you've you've got to be royalty, I think. Anyhow, that's entirely beside the point. I want to talk. I want you to talk about your gardening experience. What type of gardening do you really enjoy the most? And what are some of the the most valuable lessons that you've learned from the gardening experience personally, Helen? Well, uh, really the fun stuff for me is the creative side of gardening. Uh, you know, designing the space, um, painting with foliage and flowers and texture, things like that. And I love being in it. I love stalking bugs with my camera and composing color palettes and bringing them indoors as bouquets. Um, that's really, to me, the great pleasure of having a garden. Because, you know, what I've learned about myself is that while I love gardens, I'm not all that fond of gardening. You know, the, <laughs> the maintenance really? side of it, the slog work and, and that I'm I'm no different from all kinds of people who want a low maintenance garden. <laughs> you know, appreciate uh, your honesty I, there. I, I know that's really refreshing. I don't hear that every day. I've I've contended for a very long time that there are two type type of people in the world. Uh, one that enjoys gardening uh, by by getting their knees dirty, and the other group in the world are those people who'd rather just sit on a park bench and watch the rest of us get our knees dirty. Hmm. Uh, and it's okay to be in either one of those two, but I I haven't met anybody who hates gardening, hates the garden. I don't mean gardening. I mean gardens. Yeah. You know like what? Who hates the, gardens? Uh, I'm not all that um, fussed about putting in like a slog of work and a concentrated period. But there are lots of people who like to go out and uh, deadhead. They find it. Uh, meditative and I'm not one of those girls uh, but I just do love uh, learning about them I'm always curious I'm always learning I just every year for example I identify some knowledge gap that I have and I try and fill it you know what kind of bees visit the garden what kind of uh, ornamental grasses are there what are good for you know I, I pick something and then I really focus on learning about that but I know I have learned that a well-designed garden can more or less take care of itself you know if you've chosen the right plants for the right place if you really focused on feeding the soil it's so important and then you just watch for those signs and it's asking for a little extra TLC and that can minimize the work that you have to do. And believe me, I have a tough garden, dry shade garden, Norway maples, feet and feet and feet of yellow sand. It is definitely uh, was an education kind of getting to the point where it could take care of itself, but remarkably it has. And uh, that said, I know every garden um, needs change. Um, our needs change. And sometimes we have to change the garden to go along with it. So, so, for example, during the pandemic, my husband and I did a major DIY transformation of our backyard to make it more of a space for outdoor entertaining. And I also took the opportunity to amp up the native plant content of that part of the garden. So, um, you know, creative challenges and problem solving 
all of that stuff really feeds me uh, when I think about what garden is all about. I I have two questions that relate to challenges. One one is the the garden you've described: yellow sand, Norway maples. Uh, my first question I'll give you, and then I'll ask my second. Uh, my first question is: What have you learned in those conditions? What's been the breakthrough for making that shady, sandy garden work? And then my follow-up question is: Is you've been writing at Toronto Gardens since 2006. Mm-hmm. We know, as producers and consumers of garden media, how much things have changed. And um, I guess my question is: Is what have what's your take on the current garden landscape, and where are you? That is garden media landscape because we know that you volunteer with garden com and where are you going for your written online digital whatever garden inspiration so it's a two-part question but i'll, I'll let you start with <laughs> that's a multi-part question <laughs> um, i'll see if i can remember what you asked me uh when you were asking me about um dry shade a dry shade garden really well most gardens really be, should begin with the soil you know, um, that's where that's where the the plants are anchored. They get um, they get their their water. They get the beneficial relationships with uh, the soil um, web, um, and especially in sand, which is what I have. Sand is inert. It has no real inherent uh, nutri- nutrients, and it also drains like a sieve. And so constant applications of organic matter, for me, have made all the difference. While other people are bagging up their leaves and putting them on the curb, I'm raking mine into the garden. And, you know, sometimes I shred it um, since I learned more about um you know, overwintering uh, insects. I've done that less and less. I just pile it on, rake it on, and usually by May, it's disappeared into the ground. And I could not really garden on sand in dry shade without that one trick. Doesn't work for everybody. Some people hate the messy look of leaves on the garden. Well, on my street, I have probably the ugliest winter and early spring garden until the bulbs come out. But then by March, April, I have the prettiest garden on the street. So there you go. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, as far as the the landscape of um, garden media is concerned, uh, so much has shifted to online uh, sources, podcasts like your own, TikTok is huge at the moment with a growing uh, need and uh, desire for garden-related information. Um, you know, uh, it, it's been that way for a long time, uh, but focused garden books are still, uh, you know, great to have, and I'm. Uh, currently in the process or will soon be in the process of editing my enormous print library down um, into a smaller space because of some changes we made at home. It's going to be a, a, a very interesting exercise to pick the ones in print that are still um, relevant, haven't gone out of date, and still 
uh, a go-to resource for information. And one standard one that I still have, the soft cover version of Michael Durr's uh, Manual of Woody Landscape Plants, still a great reference, um, even if in, in just black and white with line illustrations. Uh, I think it's even better than the updated one with the, the uh, color photography. So some, some things are always going to be keepers. Hmm. Have I you forgotten have... a question? No, you got them both. <laughs> I do that so we don't end up talking over you, but I, I uh-huh. couldn't agree more on both on both points. And it's interesting. I'll be interested to hear what titles make it through the cull of the personal library. Yeah. Yeah, well, that will you. probably be a blog post in itself. Good. <laughs> Tell us something based on your experience in the garden. Do you have a favorite tree or plant, or do you have a favorite garden, public garden that you like to visit? Well, um, I've thought about this uh, hard because, uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a fan girl. And so when it comes to gardens, I will talk about that in a minute. But for because of the dry shade, I'm often asked by people, what's a great plant for dry shade? And there are many. Sometimes I say it's the big root geranium because it's almost unstoppable and yet easy mm. to yank out. Um, uh, but, but and really, you're talking about a perennial geranium or the pelagonia? Yeah. Well, the big root geranium uh, is, a, is a perennial um, and it's a, a mat forming, uh, easy to manage, um, fast growing ground cover. But really, my favorite in that category is the whole big epimedium family. The, and, you know, they have such interesting flowers with this. Mm little spurs they look very delicate but once they're established they're tough as boots and uh you know give you a chance to uh, have something interesting in spring and the foliage is often uh, colored in spring and fall or sometimes patterned uh, lots of different colors i think that's one of my favorites for dry shade as far as gardens are concerned, my husband and I last summer um, exercised uh, or satisfied a, that pent-up desire for travel. And we were in France and uh, in the UK and saw a number of gardens. He's very patient. <laughs> I have lots of pictures of him sitting in gardens, sitting on a bench, looking at his phone. But um, he lets me uh, go wherever I want to go. So that's why I keep him. And uh, one garden that totally blew me away was Levens Hall in Cumbria in the Lake District. It's probably one of, if not the oldest, um, topiary garden in the world. And it is... um, you know, dates from the, oh, I can't even remember which century, but it many centuries ago. And uh, yet it has constantly been updated to reflect modern um, contemporary design and planting approaches. Uh, it's just like Alice in Wonderland enters the garden. And I, I was levitating as I walked through this space. It was just so exciting. And what was the name again? Levens Hall, L-E-V-E-N-S Hall in Cumbria. So I looked it up as you were speaking, and uh, 
it appears like a cartoon landscape. It's it's unreal. It is how, totally unreal. How big is this in real life? Is it as big as it appears? Um, it is uh, uh, as big as it appears. Yeah, it has many uh, different garden spaces. Um, and each one uh, is, uh, you know, fascinating. There's the, the topiary garden. There is a vegetable garden. There's a bowling green um, croquet garden. Um, and, you know, it, it's a, a private home that is open certain days of the week for visitors. And the, um, the head gardener, uh, Chris Crowder, has been the head gardener there for over 30 years. And you really see his imprint on it. I had a chance to meet him when we were visiting and uh, talked to him for a while. A lovely, lovely gentleman with great, uh, great approach to uh, I guess, making this very historic garden relevant to modern visitors. I think we should go there, Ben. Yeah, we should. You got to go. Yeah. Well, we're heading over to the Chelsea Flower Show this year, Ben and I. And, um, you know, we're putting together our our itinerary right now. I should know where Cumbria is, but how far from London would that be? Um, Well, you know uh, what it's like in, in Europe. Um, they think a hundred miles is a long distance, and we think a hundred years is a long time. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's up in the northwest corner, if you think of it that way. You can probably okay. get a get Near a the lake, the lake district. Just on the south side of the lake district, yes. Okay. okay. Wow. Great, great. Well, um, Helen, it's kind of last word to you here before we move on to the Ben and Mark, what we're working on feature. But um, yeah, do you have anything else you'd like to share? Anything you want to tell our listeners about uh, before we let you go? Well, I guess uh, one way will be the best way to reach me. And that's to go to my website, HelenBattersby.com. And uh, that's H-E-L-E-N-B-A-T-T-E-R-S-B-Y.com. And it gives you doorways to our blog and our journal and other things. And it also gives you information about my garden presentations for any group looking for a garden speaker in person or online. I just love presenting and uh, uh, all those fabulous pictures that I uh, take of whether insects in my garden or gardens I visit uh, sometimes find their way into a presentation. Great. Well, uh, thank you so much. And I want to say, I want to say, if I can insert my opinion of the content that I consume and enjoy the most is a long form blog post has so much more to it than a lot of what you kind of scroll past on social media. And I Mm. appreciate uh, the work that you and Sarah are doing to get that quality content out there on the internet, because I know it's hard for blog posters. It's not as easy to discover um as it was and um so if people can seek you out uh it's it's worth the click um to get off of the platforms the social media platforms and back onto the web and get some of that quality long form um and i appreciate that you're doing it and i appreciate um that you're kind of keeping it local too you know it's very canadian and it's from your perspective so uh worth a search folks thanks helen thanks very much ben and thank you mark pleasure thank you So, Ben, 
let's talk about what we're doing in the garden right now, which is really kind of a stupid question. Because yeah, we're I, in, this is a Canadian winter after all. And even though it's been fairly mild in central Canada, um, you know, there's stuff going on. Um, why don't you tell me what's occupying you? And if it's not you physically, what's occupying your mind right now that mm. relates to the garden season ahead of us? Well, I'll tell you, I'm a bit preoccupied at the moment. Uh, this weekend is, as you know, the Guelph Organic Conference. And um, it's the largest and the oldest organic conference in Canada. And this year, the Organic Council of Ontario has taken it on. Right. I'm a board member there. I'm the president of the board there. So uh, I have a busy week because not only am I involved by way of the council, Collins Foods is sponsoring a session on growing organic edible beans. We're going to have a booth. And you're going to you're going to staff the booth for me. So thank you very much for that. And um, there's a lot of moving pieces in the lead up to the Guelph Organic Conference, which actually starts online today. There's online sessions from today till Friday. And then it starts in person at the U of Goo, what we call it, the University of Guelph. So um, to be honest, I, I'm in a bit of a whirlwind at the moment. You, you are. Well, Holy you concern. say that that starts today, but we should we're pre-recording this. And this is the re- re- recording on January uh, 23rd. This is the mm-hmm. Monday. The conference actually runs from when to when, Ben? Today until Sunday. So we're going to try and get this uh, special edition podcast out ahead of time so people can know that I we're there. I think that's a great um, idea. Yeah. So that's um, that's because we usually do, you know, first of the month type thing, but we'll get it online and uh, hopefully somebody will hear this and they'll come out and see us at the <laughs> university because, um, yeah, it's a lot going on. And we're going to have a lot of the Cullen's Foods growers in town, at least the ones in Ontario. And, um, yeah, most of them will be coming back to my place after for, um, yeah, just our well, first in-person get-together. We used to do an in-person growers meeting every year at the kitchen table. And this oh, it's a growers meeting. Back. When you said everybody's invited back to my place, I thought you meant all of our listeners and all the people attending oh, yeah. the organic conference. All thousands of visitors. No, I don't. Sorry. <laughs> it's <laughs> you a gotta street be a party. Grower to get it's access. a street party at Ben's place. Oh, organic yeah, yeah, beer. <laughs> just what I need. No, um, we'll have the growers here, and it's it'll be nice to see everyone in person because it's been well, it will a long time since we've done it this way. So um, that's that's what's top of mind for me. How about you? Well, I want to add something about that. Um, this I'm looking forward to the experience this weekend selling uh, some beans for for Ben, some chickpeas and lentils, all Canadian grown, all organic, uh, a unique product presentation and selection. Um, I'm also looking forward to something that I haven't told you about, Ben, but you know I do this every year. I go to the organic conference in Guelph the end of January for seeds. Now, this this is this a nice segue into what am I doing in my garden right now? Mm. Well, what I'm doing is I am making a list of the seeds that I want to look for when I get to the conference. And I mention that because, as I recall, there's at least five different vendors of small vendors. These are not the big giants in the Canadian world of seed seed production. These are small, generally mom and pop sort of operations that sell a lot of heritage varieties, a lot mm-hmm. of organic uh, varieties, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of varieties that are just darn hard to find anywhere else. And so my vegetable garden is filled 
with um, vegetables that I grew from seed that I sourced at the at the organic conference. So if you're looking for an additional reason to go, I'm going to be there. When I'm not selling your beans, I'm going to be buying my seeds because I just built a greenhouse. And I have a <laughs> lovely greenhouse in my backyard. I hope to just jam up this spring with seedlings. And I'm so looking forward to it, Ben. You know, the temperature in that greenhouse, which has no heat in it, other than yeah. what Mother Nature delivers through the sun, was 31 degrees Celsius the other day. And the temperature out of doors was minus six. So that just tells you a little bit about the heat capture that I'm looking forward to. And of course, I, I'm going to have to manage that and I will. But honestly, by the, the time of our next podcast, I will have gotten started, I'm almost certain. And um, for our listeners, shopping for seeds is really critically important this time of year. First of all, determine what you want to grow. Secondly, and what you want to produce from seed, whether you're direct sowing right in the garden or you're producing some transplants indoors or in your own greenhouse if you happen to have one. Make sure you acquire your seeds soon, early. And the reason I mention this, if we have learned anything through the pandemic, we have learned that there is generally a greater demand for good quality seeds in Canada than there is a supply. There is a gap. And we don't really see that gap, the results of that gap, until late in the season. So if you're a late shopper, you may not get what you want. So if you're looking for, for instance, those carrots, Heritage, heritage variety carrots that aren't orange, but are actually purple, get them early. If you're looking for heritage varieties of tomatoes, get them early. And that's true for, you know, a lot of really popular hybrids as well. Like last year, I couldn't find anywhere the sweet 1 million tomatoes, the cherry tomatoes mm. I love so much. Mm. So end the speech about seeds and mm -hmm. the organic conference coming up in Guelph. Uh, mm -hmm. Other than that, then I am consuming books right now about gardening because i know i won't read them come may you know right. when the when the weather hits home i like a little bit of golf and i like a lot of gardening and both <laughs> those things do not include sitting in an easy chair and reading a book but i so i do it now and and just this week i started a book called the philosophy of gardening mm. and it's it's a cool little tome it's uh, not very long it's actually written in Germany, and there are a lot of, and so it's a translation into English. But believe it or not, the person who writes it, I should say, kind of curates it because it's a collection of essays from Germany and Holland uh, that have been translated. Uh, the person that curates it has a wonderful sense of humor, and it comes through even in the translation so nicely. The philosophy of gardening. Uh, I don't have it in my hand, so I can't tell you any more about it except that i'm really enjoying that read great good and something so on your on your point about seeds um i i have to give a shout out to a couple of the seed companies because um if you don't make it to the organic conference nothing mails like seed it just travels very well and <laughs> all of these seed companies do a great online business and uh the one i'll be looking for is hawthorne farm organic seeds they're at the organic conference every year. They're in kind of Mount Forest, Listowel area, and they've got a really comprehensive selection. They're kind of a one-stop shop. They grow a lot of their own. And then a friend of mine, uh, Kat from the Guelph Master Gardeners, uh, she's got seeds of embolic. Is that how you say it? I-M-B-O-L-C. Embolic? Embolus. Um, Embolus? 
No, I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> you made that yep. up. It's, it's, it's a, we'll have to ask Kat. You know what? <laughs> Seeds for the imbecile. <laughs> imbecile. No. No, stop right there. Well, it's anyway, a way to remember I-N-B-O-L-C. it. I mean, I mean, even if I'm wrong, you can at least remember that. Sure. I-M-B-O-L-C. That's how you spell it. And um, we See, love Kat. That. We love the seeds that she's producing. Check her out. She's smelling all over the place. And now's the time to start thinking about it. what a great thing to be thinking about. Um, it's never too soon. So thank you ha- for that. Hawthorne. Hawthorne was the other one, right? Hawthorne. I can remember Hawthorne. I won't remember. Well, I'll remember Imbecile. I'm going to remember Imbecile. I'm going to look for them both when I get there. Yeah. and yeah, Seeds of Imbecile. Great. Uh, <laughs> look forward to hearing what you find. Kat's going to... Cat's gonna love this plug. <laughs> Here you go, trying to do a favor for a friend. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can but, tell her I blew it. You give give get that responsibility on me. I will, I will. And then you know, you talk about books, and there's a neat book I picked up from a small bookstore in Markdale, Ontario. Okay. Um, and it's called My Summer of Glorious Freedom. And it's pretty interesting. It's a natural I think that was the summer you moved out. Okay, would you just bear with me here for a minute? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I interrupted again. I shouldn't do that. My Summer of Glorious Freedom. So this is neat. It's by an Ontario author named Robert Bircher. And uh, so there's a historical record of John Muir, okay, this great American conservationist, naturalist, okay. And um, John Muir saunters around southern Ontario in the summer of 1864. So John sure. Muir spent a summer in southern ontario and um this guy robert retraced his steps and they're all places you would know and given the human development over the you know past the time that's passed great little book that's really opened my eyes to all sorts of natural landmarks that i was otherwise maybe ignorant to so um yes my summer of glorious freedom can i just add something serious to that um not that you weren't being serious, but before that, I wasn't being serious, mm-hmm. uh, is that I am familiar with the John Muir story. And he um, is probably the greatest North American, if not international naturalist uh, in the history of, of humankind. Like he, his story what? is a fascinating story. As I recall, he ends up in California, doesn't he? He does. And, you know, it's interesting how um, history changes i think you know there are people who might take umbrage with some of the way that john muir's story has been told with respect to first peoples and colonialism and you know Mm. we're we're relearning a lot of what really happened um Mm. but in terms of documenting the natural history and starting a movement among settlers for protecting land um Totally. Yes, you're absolutely right. Certainly by name recognition, a big part of the National Parks movement in the U.S. And a lot of people don't know that he spent this summer here in southern Ontario. Um, So, you know, I really appreciate that because um, we are spoiled for biodiversity and we are also spoiling that biodiversity with so much development. So uh, to have this kind of historical perspective, so much Natural history is written on like very long timescales that are hard to appreciate. But 1864 to present day, you know, it's the human environment around Southern Ontario that's changed most. And Mm. you can see the impacts that it's had. So that's why Mm. I'm enjoying this book, because it's, you know, a mix of uh, natural and human landmarks that you can find still to this day. 
And then you can appreciate just how radically we've changed um, that environment. So anyway, when, when you're finished that book, can I borrow it? Well, yours. All right. I like that. And to a listener that's thinking, yeah, well, I'd like to borrow that book. You can borrow it after me. Just let me know how to reach you and I'll put it in the mail to you. And John, you <laughs> by the way, um, was responsible for introducing Theodore Roosevelt, Roosevelt to uh, nature. He didn't need to be introduced because he was a hunter, as a lot of listeners may know. Um, and the first national park in the United States was inspired by John Muir, and it was Yosemite, as I recall. So I feel mm. like I'm on Jeopardy right now, and I'm probably wrong, and I just lost $800. Well, But I, I'm just telling you that he's a really cool guy. <laughs> okay, and if you want a signed copy of this book, you can go to Speaking Volumes Books in Markdale, Ontario. Support uh, your independent retailers and your local authors. And I think this guy, Robert Bircher, is a... Is a based out of Flesherton, which is obviously a place near and dear. So wow. there you go. It's our spiel, well, speaking folks. of authors, should I, should I say thank you one more time to ours, Helen Battersby, for joining us. Uh, is it time to sign off, Ben? It's time to sign off. Helen, thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. You sure classed up our act today. Ben, thank you so much. I really enjoyed seeing you again in an audio sort of way. And I'll look forward to spending some time with you in Guelph later on in the week. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me remind you that this is the Green File podcast, and you are welcome to sign up for it on Apple or Spotify. And a reminder that you can get our free monthly newsletter at markcullen.com. We have 20,000 Canadian subscribers. We'd love you to be the 20,000 and first. Uh, it's free. And we don't load up your inbox, but we do give you some useful information. And as always, we have a little bit of fun. Be sure to tell your friends about The Green File. And remember to tell a friend how much uh, you enjoyed the newsletter after you've signed up for it as well. Thanks so much. Thank you to Lucas, our producer, and to Helen, of course. Thank you, Ben. And have a great February. <laughs>